David Farrier here, and welcome to the Webworm podcast. Today I'm going to read you an essay that appeared on Webworm called Imprisoned in a System That Won't Let Us Act Sanely uh, by Joshua Drummond. I jumped off a cliff once. Everyone else was doing it. It was at a Northland waterfall, and I was about 17. The place was a popular swimming hole, and there were quite a few spots my mates and I would jump off and do bombs. But there's one particular bit where, if you get enough of a run-up, you can clear the cliffside and plummet a height even greater than the falls. My mates and I worked up to it. I didn't go first, I've never been great with heights, but I wanted to prove myself. Plus, I've got an innate practical streak in me that wants to see if someone else is going to get impaled before I jump into the murky water myself. They jumped, they didn't die, and so it was my turn. I jumped too. I didn't regret it immediately. That came about a tenth of a second in, when gravity grabbed my guts in an unclenching fist and squeezed and twisted and pulled down. It was a visceral lesson. The laws of physics are a pantheon of terrible gods. They're the authority by which cause and effect abide, and they don't care about you. I'd fucked with the great god gravity, and this was the finding out phase. This month started out with a similar set of sensations. A lurch in my stomach, a sudden dizzying rush of anxiety, the same sense of inevitability, of being at the mercy of a caused effect. I know the feeling well now. I get it every time a new major climate crisis report is released. The IPCC has just released their sixth assessment report, which draws a conclusion that will leave very few surprised. Climate change is real, it's happening now, it's getting worse, and it will get much worse if it's not stopped. Importantly, the report takes pains to underscore the fact that there is much we can and should do to stop warming. But that ray of hope is not what brings the feeling of falling off a cliff, the sensation of inevitability sets in and gravity grabs your guts, pulling and twisting. The problem isn't the fall, it's that we're currently doing very little to break it. It's as if, to work the cliff jump metaphor some more, we're in free fall and the pool's dry, but if we're really quick we can fill it so the fall won't kill us or even hurt us too much. But the controls for the emergency gates are kept by a very small and very rich group of people who are all saying, nah, saving you would cost us too much. We're opting for splat. We know exactly what's wrong with the climate. There's an excess of greenhouse gas in the atmosphere and it's causing the planet to heat up. We're clear on the cause too. Human activity has done nearly all of it. We know the solution. Swap out carbon emitting technology and work to draw down the excess carbon we've emitted. So, with the problems and solutions clear for decades, what's being done by the engines of the economy, the leaders and the gatekeepers, business and government? Not nearly enough. This isn't a sane response to an emergency. It's inhuman. Humans are, for the most part, practical and altruistic. We're brilliant, astonishing creatures. We might be bound by gravity, but we can still fly. The essence of humanity is bound up in working together to solve problems. That's what makes climate change so maddening. When I say to myself, as any sane person would, what are we doing and how can I help? The answers keep coming back, not enough, and you can't. That's not how humans work. Being shown a problem and not being able to fix it drives us mad. 
anyone who understands the reality of climate change and the necessity of action is burning to act. Everyone wants to help, to work, to do, but we're imprisoned in a system that won't let us act sanely. We're being denied climate agency. We're stuck in a system we didn't opt for, a system built for us without due care by those who benefit from pillaging the future, a system that we are frequently told is too expensive to change. In the media, articles about climate change mitigation measures frequently come, absurdly, with a cost-benefit analysis. Not contributing to cooking an entire planet is seldom listed as a benefit. Often, taking the individual actions we are told will help ease the crisis is too expensive. Unless you're rich, in the global scheme of things, you can't afford an EV. Unless you're wealthy, in terms of either time or money, you can't afford to go waste-free, or turn your backyard into a garden, or even buy food that's free of exploitative farming practices. Ethical behaviour has been monetized. If you want a clear conscience, you'll have to pay for it. Not even able to take drop-in-a-bucket actions that might soothe our consciences, if not actually making a meaningful contribution, the vast majority of us have to live madly amongst madness to drive madness, to eat and drink madness. Many simple acts of daily life are poisoned with guilt over the knowledge that not only are you not helping, you're making things worse. An omnipresent, inevitable chorus of judgment screams at you for decisions you can't help making because our systems don't allow any other choice. Driving? Guilty. Eating meat? Guilty. Got milk? Guilty. Got plant milk in a plastic bottle? Guilty. No wonder people embrace climate change denial, clutching it like a lifesaver. They're just trying to stay sane. In a sane world, we'd be pivoting hard, or have pivoted ages ago, having never debated whether having a livable biosphere is good for business. Government and business alike would have switched priorities, poured their all into doing the needful. There would be jobs, endless jobs, available to do what matters. But it's not a sane system. And there are few such jobs available. Searching on a health site like LinkedIn for climate change or sustainability is an exercise in futility. Many of the jobs available are in niche positions, or startups, or don't pay well enough for someone without independent means to take them. Tellingly, many climate change jobs are at insurance companies, insurance being one of the few sectors that does not have the luxury of choosing not to include climate change in its business model. The result is a crisis everyone knows about, but is powerless to work on fixing, because it's hard to make rent or pay the mortgage with jobs that should exist, but don't. The result is a crisis everyone knows about, but is powerless to work on fixing, because it's hard to make rent or pay the mortgage with jobs that should exist, but don't. And the great invisible hand of the market isn't interested in helping out, because saving the world for future generations doesn't pay now. The hand would rather sell stuff. Everyone loves stuff. Absent of the ability to live sanely and purposefully in a world that's on fire, many of us privileged enough to live out of the danger zones live muted, blunted lives. Video games are a welcome retreat, an opportunity to save the world, a virtual one. Even doom scrolling is a balm on the open sore of what can we do. It feels like taking action, but it's not. This forced nihilism poisons living. Faced with making choices about the future, a lot of my peers throw up their hands. What's the point in trying to own a house when the housing market's been cornered and whipped into a frenzy and the government has just kind of given up on doing anything meaningful about it? 
Why have kids when they'll likely have difficult, impoverished lives? Why risk saving for a future when the financial markets are a rigged casino and you can watch your future disappearing, live streaming, one climate change fueled fire slash flood slash storm slash heat wave at a time? Looking around, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that the future is being stolen from us. Governments and businesses should be creating ways to create good futures, to live within planetary boundaries, to live sanely. But we have been deliberately, systematically conned by fossil fuel and fossil fueled businesses who have worked tirelessly to promote the status quo and remove barriers to reaping the planet for endless profit, and by governments who have eagerly acquiesced to their demands in order to promote the fairy tale of endless economic growth. There are a few hundred companies responsible for the majority of climate change, aided and abetted by either actively denialist or inactivist governments. The people who did this knew exactly what the effects would be, and they did it anyway. Stop feeling guilty. They did this. It's their fault, not yours. Theirs. The actions of fossil fuel companies and their enablers have murdered tens of thousands of people in the present and hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions, perhaps more, in the future. Those not yet born will bear the brunt. So will those just born, like my baby boy. And this is just the human cost. The cost to the rest of nature is literally incalculable. But it's easy to list some of the impacts. Under business as usual, millions of species face endangerment or extinction. Coral reefs will continue to die. Forests will burn and become savannah. Sea level rise will inundate cities and shorelines. Maybe this one will hit home for you because it does for me. In the business as usual future, climate change will kill the beaches. Almost half of the world's sandy beaches will have retreated significantly by the end of the century as a result of climate-driven coastal flooding and human interference, according to new research, writes The Guardian. Usually, when humanity faces murder and destruction on this sort of scale, we react in disgust and fury. Tribunals are formed and justice is meted out. And yet, nothing. It seems like we simply don't have the laws for those that kill with commerce. When will the climate criminals and their enablers, their paid shills and their useful idiots, face justice? Will they ever? Like many of us, I'm angry about this. Very angry. But it's hard to know what to do with this fury. It runs too deep, like a hidden current in a river. Occasionally it rises, and it's terrible to see, to feel. And being angry, like being earnest, it's not cool. It's not done. The correct attitude is a sort of post-ironic detachment. And oh well, we're all fucked, so let's just enjoy the ride. I'm tired of even trying to be cool about this. The effect it takes to sustain protective detachment isn't worth it. I'm desperate to channel my fury at a stolen, broken world into something useful. Something that helps. Something that isn't shouting at the wind, or just being testy on Twitter. And I worry that Deprived of justice, the collective anger and dispossession of millions will spill over into something vengeful and terrible. A quote from one of those goofy Marvel films comes to mind. If we can't protect the earth, we can be damn sure we'll avenge it. Such great escapism to watch the world being saved by powerful people who, in a marked break with reality, actually do the right thing. You can see why the films make such good money for one of the largest corporations on the planet. I don't want violence. 
Most people don't, or there'd be a lot more dead fossil fuel executives. But I'm not prepared to watch business as usual turn our only home into hell. Because there is still time. Time to blunt climate change's worst impacts. To save what can be saved. To make a better world. Denied agency, activism is the last sane position left. Leading climate change scientist Michael Mann writes about the futility of doomism in his book The New Climate War. He warns that the we're all fucked, who cares attitude plays directly into the hands of warmest interests. Those who are desperate for business as usual to continue so they can make and keep their billions. This is the greatest threat and greatest challenge we've ever faced as a civilization, Mann says. If you're not out there fighting for climate action, you're giving up on the human race. To disrupt business as usual, climate change and activist Peter Kalmer says we need a billion climate activists. And the work of activism begins with imagining a better world. It's not even that hard. Others have already done this work, and there are many good futures to choose from. Some of it is table stakes, common sense good ideas. Cities would be made walkable, accessible to active transport. Public transport would be fast and free, and special accommodation would be made for those less able. Electricity would be generated renewably, and we've got plenty of wind, ocean, and sunshine. Distributed grids and batteries would create a resilient infrastructure. Farming would be made much more sustainable, becoming a carbon sink instead of a net polluter. My own personal good future has some specifics. In the near term, ideally today, the media would pledge not to run climate change denial in either news or opinion, and would refuse to take advertising or sponsorship money from fossil fuel interests. They'd abandon the senseless culture war they're encouraging for clicks, stirring up audiences against fundamentally benign concepts like cycleways. They'd stop platforming politicians and others that lie about the climate crisis. The media also need to stop stirring up fear about how much this stuff costs because the cost of not doing it is almost too much to comprehend. One estimate puts global GDP losses at $610 trillion in cumulative damages to 2100, the equivalent of at least one COVID-sized economic shock per year. This stupendous figure doubles once you factor in sea level rise. So instead of asking how much will it cost, we need to ask how much work will this be? To paraphrase Kim Stanley Robinson in his sci-fi book, The Ministry for the Future, money isn't real. Work is real. People are real. Governments need to assess what needs to be done in terms of climate change mitigation and then just pay people to do it. Sure, it's hard work, but when work is meaningful, people actually want to do it. But there's no need to dispense with the collective fiction of money as long as we can make it work for all of us, instead of a vanishingly small minority of fixers and gatekeepers. For instance, we can take money back from the fossil fuel companies who've stolen it from our future. We can set a hard limit on wealth, so the value of everything the world does can stop being hoarded by 0.1% of the population. The billionaire stands may screech, but it's the best form of justice fossil fuel executives and their shills can hope for. And I can hear the economists stirring already, so let's upset them some more. We need to stop treating free market orthodox economics like it's the immutable law of nature. In fact, by ignoring the biosphere, orthodox economics has done more damage than perhaps any other ideology. A new economics is needed, and a new popular understanding. 
one that doesn't treat economics like it's a cheeky god beyond human control. The economy is just a representation of humans at work. Economists are fundamentally useless at predicting the future, and it's time we stopped pretending they can. Physics, on the other hand, can predict the future. We know what's coming, but we can still do something about it. Jumping off the climate cliff wasn't a good idea, but we can still break the fall. There is no simple formula, no fact sheet or checklist for figuring out our roles in the vital work to forge a just, livable future, says All We Can Save author Dr. Catherine Wilkinson. But I have found a series of reflections can help us arrive at some clarity and uncover ways to be of use, she finishes. When it comes to reflections, I like this one very much. It's a tweet by Dr. Charlie Gardner. As an earth scientist, I wish I had spent the last 20 years being much more alarmist. Fuck the taboos and social norms that held me back. So, stop worrying and speak up. Talk about climate change with everyone you can. Join the school climate strikes. Join the general strikes that are coming. Be an activist. Organize. Become unignorable. It's the only thing that will force the powers that be into action that will break the dissonance of living the way we do now and allow us to live sanely. That piece was written by Joshua Drummond in August of this year, 2021. Thanks for listening uh, to this story. Uh, If you want to discuss it, uh, you can log into the comments under this piece on webworm.co. I hope to see you there. And yeah, I think there is hope for the future. But the big boys have got to come on board. As individuals, it's too much.